Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. There is such a clear sense of a shift of seasons, not just in this house, it is global. It, like God is doing something and he is saying something right now and we need to pause and pay attention. We need to listen for the voice of God. And even, uh, you know, I know there's some that this morning when you, you heard about the fasting again, some have started already. Um, some just let this roll past your ears. I want to encourage you, do something. Do something. We have to seek the Lord. We are leaving it totally in your court, what you feel to do one day, three days, 10 days, 40 days, whatever, um, whatever kind of fast, because it's, I feel very personal, but corporately God is taking us somewhere and it will, it will matter who is on board, who has heard from God, who knows the direction that God is giving them. And this morning, the word that I have, um, we're kind of going to, carry on with the direction that God's been taking us. Um, the phrase that I cannot get out of my heart and mind, and you've heard it a thousand times already, but whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so this morning, you know, this word, the, the, Bible describes itself as a sword that is sharper than any, any two-edged sword that divides between bone and marrow, that there's two sides of this thing. That to one, it's one thing. To the other, it's the other thing. I believe the word today. To some, this is going to be very exciting. To some, this is going to be an epic warning. And so we receive it with, with whatever God's got for us. But I believe that there is a, a shift that we have popped over into that is, you know, we've talked about in the past, are these moves of God man-generated or God-generated? Both. It, it originates in the heart of God, but God puts it on the heart of man to ask him for what it is he wants to release in the first place. And the coming together, and there is a fullness of time that we've stepped into. And so today we're going to talk about the state of the union. And uh, state of the union, and I'm not talking about the business of the house. This is not our annual meeting. This is the state of our union with God. This is the state of our union personally, as couples, as households, and as the house of God. What is the state of our union? And uh, we know this, this phrase is really common because this is like the American thing. The U.S. president gets up every year and makes a speech that is the state of the union address, which is this is what we've been through, this is where we are, and this is where we're going. And it's just a pause to kind of evaluate. And people, you know, pre-analyze ahead of time. What's the president going to say? And what's it going to mean? And, you know, last year there was all kinds of, I mean, everybody was in fits about the fact that there were red lights behind the president as he spoke. And the soldiers looked like Nazis. And it was a whole thing. And it was like, you know, people really read into what's the state of the union. The fact is, when we're talking about our state of our union with God, it is a heart thing. And nobody else can analyze it. It's not really about what do the lights say? What does this say? You know, while they raise their hands in worship, they don't. They this, they... It's between you and God. The state of the union is this internal thing. And sometimes there are people who, who we maybe on the outside would think don't have much of a relationship with God and they have a deep relationship with God. And there may be other people that know what to do on the outside and everything's broken on the inside. So the state of the union is pausing to let God evaluate what's going on with us so that we can move forward. Uh, there is a there is a strong sense that I have that what God is about to do is going to be so full of his tangible presence that if we don't have ourselves in the right place with him, it will be costly in a bad way. Um, there's, there's history. You know, when, when Moses asked to see God's glory and God said, I'm going to have to hide you in a rock and you can see a taste of it because if you actually saw me, you would, you would die. We know that when God moved in Acts, the book of Acts, that things like Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead as they brought their offering happened. That these, these tangible things, when the presence of God comes with an intensity that we've been asking for, it means we better have our house in order. And I, you know, I, I actually, I'm really bad at not packaging things very well, but nevertheless, you're still here. So praise God for that. Um... I got to tell you, as we've crossed over, we've come out of COVID and every, 
every leadership thing, whether it's business, it's church, it's political, whatever, is trying to analyze what are people's behaviors moving forward? How do people respond to life? What do people want? What do they need? What are they willing to do? We hear things like, on average, most Christians will attend church once out of every four weeks because they've learned to like it online. We hear things like you're going to need four times the amount of volunteers because people only come once out of every four weeks and they're only likely to come when they're volunteering. Um, Let me just say, I don't care. I don't care what our what our culture says. I don't care what the norms are. I know that my dad would say every Sunday when we were like, do we have to go this week? He would say, you know what Jesus did? Jesus was in the temple as was his custom. That the word of God says that Jesus regularly showed up even though he was the son of God, that he was there and he was talking. He was part of of the system of the day. And we know that in the New Testament that we are instructed to gather together even more so as the day approaches, that we need one another, that we don't get nearly as much off of a screen as we do in the presence of God, corporately supporting one another, praying for one another, blessing one another, serving one another. You've got gifts in you that are designed to minister to the body. That's what they're for. If you're not in the body, the gifts are going dormant and it's like throwing out rotten food in your fridge that you didn't bother to eat. There are other people starving, waiting for you to show up with what God's put in you. We're not going to be culturally specific. We're going to be God specific in this house. And so as we move forward, what does that mean? Let me just say, I believe God's calling us towards more, not less. I don't know what that looks like, but I know that I'm just giving you my commitment. And this is terrifying because these are all on record, all these, you know, cameras and everything. Everything that we say up here now, people can't say, oh, I think she said, no, it's on the record now. (sighs) But we must move forward with the mandate of heaven. And when we're talking right now about paying off the mortgage, let me just tell you, we'll be, we'll be vision casting in the, in the months to come. But essentially what we need is to be cut free from the past so that we can launch into the future. We need to be out of the earthly system so that we can run in God's system. We need to make sure that we are ready to go the distance. And it doesn't mean that, oh my goodness, we're going to get the mortgage paid off and suddenly we're going to have $16,000 more a month as a church so we can just sit here in luxury. No, there is a city to reach. There is a region to reach. There is a province to reach. There is a nation to reach. There are nations of the earth that we've been called to go into to preach the gospel, and we will go. And so as we move into this year, I want to tell you, I believe God is calling us for more. He is asking, when, when the culture around us tells us that people are ready to give less. I'm telling you, God's asking for more. God is saying, I want your whole heart. I am not going to be your Sunday date. I am going to be your everyday God or nothing at all. It is a black or white kind of season. It is literally, I I can feel this burning on the inside of me. I, I feel what God says when he says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I spit you out. God is calling us to be hot or cold. Pick a team, but the middle line is going to be costly. It's going to be costly. And so what God is calling us into is this passionate walk with him. And what is in that? When I say costly, the costly stuff is the book of Acts. It is, it is the, 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 the relationship with God that produces his manifest move in our lives. And it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's all cushy and fun and, you know, whatever. It means that we get him. And if we have him and nothing else, isn't that the best? Isn't that what we honestly crave? And so we're going to walk through this today. And just bear with me. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm walking through this myself. Wayne and I are walking through this as a couple. You know, when when we talk about the costly things of God, I remember, you know, and I've shared this before. I remember being 16 years old at a a youth conference and standing there and, and hands raised, sobbing. Ask of me. Send me to the nations. Here am I. You know, and do you know what the costly thing has been for me? Staying put. God, send me anywhere. I want to go. I want to see. I want to do. I don't care if I have to eat this or do that or suffer this. It's going to be an adventure with you. God's like, stay put. 
Oh, wow. Couldn't I have stayed put somewhere warmer? Somewhere with more sunshine, some, you know, but the more I realize that, the more I realize that if I'm actually, I can reluctantly stay here or I can say, this is my harvest field. This is where God sent me. This is my people. This is where I'm called to serve. This is where I'm called to bless. God's going to do, if, if the nations were on my heart, then God's going to touch the nations from here. That, that's a thing. So what is the thing that God's asking you? In Psalm 139, King David prayed in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That is a terrifying prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. The, the breakdown of this, there, there is this, it's search me, it's check my heart, it's check my mind, it's evaluate me, it's lead me. These things, are we willing to ask God these things? When we say it's time for fasting and prayer, we don't mean like, let's see if we can skip a meal and tip God's hand to open up the doors of blessing. Come on. Seeking the Lord through prayer and fasting is about humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. It is about laying down the flesh so that the spirit can be identified in the eyes of God, that we can connect with him and there's something that can be reawakened. That's where wisdom comes from. That's where truth comes from. That's where clarity comes from. It is asking God, search me. Check my heart. Check what's really going on there. Check what, what underneath. I might say, I believe this about you. I think this about you. I hope this about you. But what is really in my heart? What's, what's the truth of what I am hanging on to? What if, what if in the last few years, maybe the last decades, you've had disappointment, you've had failure, you've had loss, you've had something, and honestly, if you were to allow God to check your heart, you would find anger, disappointment, bitterness, resentment, offense, what if it's there? And what if verbally you know it's, you know, God is good. He's always good. But in my heart, I'm a little ticked. Do you know God can handle that? He can't handle it if you won't open it up to him, though. If it's in there, it stays there and it becomes this toxic thing. Check my mind. Try me and know my anxieties. Oh, I'm trusting God. I believe God. We're standing in faith. Okay, am I really? Maybe I am, but maybe I'm not. Maybe God needs to say, you know what? Actually, you're not because you won't release this. Maybe you're actually not. Maybe there's a fear-based thing there that, that's manifesting in this area. Maybe there's some little thing that if I do this, then they're going to do that, and then it's going to hit me in this way, and maybe there's an anxiety evaluate me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Sin. Let me tell you, if we're evaluating ourselves based on the culture and I'm doing better than most people, <laughs> really doesn't mean much. I mean, I don't know what it was actually like in the days of Noah, but I think we're, we're there. You know, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be. Yeah, I think we're there. I think there's like things that, that people do and call acceptable and legalize that God's just like, the basic 10, the basic 10 commandments, we're kind of like thrown all of those out and we're doing something different entirely. We need to ask God, is there some wicked way in me and lead me then? Not just analyze all these things and tell me how I'm bad. Nope, inspect me and show me how to get out of it. Show me the path that is before me. Show me the path of life. I think there's this interesting thing that when King David prayed that, he was willing to pray it because it's in Psalm 139. The rest of the chapter is about, you know me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know my thoughts. You know, my, you know me. And because I know you know me, I'm asking you with me inspect me. Do the, do the thing. There's this, um, this, uh, 
Wayne and I have talked about the things that happen over life, stuff that you're willing to, you know, let go of because it's just too hard or it's not worth it anymore. And one of the things uh, for him this year came around, sorry, I didn't ask you if I could share this, but came around his, um, he has a class one truck driving license that doesn't use very much. And it came around, you know, it comes around for renewal every year. And he was like, this year, he's like, I I think I'm just not gonna, I don't think it's worth it to renew it. And I'm like, because you don't think it's worth it to renew it or because you don't want to go for the physical. (laughs) Because legitimately every year you have to go for the physical and you have to get all the blood tests and you have to get your ears checked and your eyes checked and all this stuff. And you know, it's like this sort of thing. Sometimes we are willing to let go of something because we don't want the inspection. Come on now. Sometimes we are willing to tolerate less of the presence of God because we don't want his inspection. When was the last time that you said, God, I want you more than I want to self-protect? I am willing to lay everything out there. I am willing to open my hands completely and say, it's all yours because I want you more. Lots of times I would just rather tolerate, right? We'll do this. We'll tolerate the less because we don't want the inspection. We don't want to have to go through that thing. Several years ago, I remember hearing in... um, you know, reading this story from Darlene Jack. She was the one from Hillsong who wrote Shout to the Lord that got sang all over the earth. And um, Hillsong music became this soundtrack that everybody sang. I mean, their, their songs are known literally globally. And it was just this like massive thing that um, God opened up for them. And I remember she said one year, a few years into it, while everybody was trying to be them, she said, we've kind of stopped um, producing music for a season because we felt like God asked us to check our hearts and to make sure that as we proceed that everything is right before him. And she said that God had highlighted for them Amos 5, 21 to 24, which the book of Amos, if you've read it, is like a Holy Spirit butt kicking for Israel, basically. Um, But it says in verse 21, I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Isn't that a profound passage for a music ministry to receive from the Lord. And they didn't necessarily feel like it was corrective, but that it was a warning in moving forward. And what we have seen over the years is this shift where um, really prior to kind of the mid eighties to mid nineties, there was, there was a massive shift out of just hymns and, you know, quieter worship to like bands in church and singing the songs like we sing today. And in that shift became the invention of the worship genre. Like there's country music, there's rock music, there's, you know, classical music, and there's worship. And worship became this thing that became an industry to the point that, you know, Christian or uh, non-Christian people would record Christian gospel songs because that's where their niche seemed to be. And so we, we, you know, went through a season where there were even people who didn't necessarily have a solid walk with God singing Christian songs, supposedly, and making money in this field. And there was this thing. And so God was just reminding them, like, I want you to stay focused on why you're really doing this. I have anointed you for a purpose. And so they were looking at this and they, they went back and they They saw where God said, take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. In other words, there is a a lack of a connection if we are singing the songs, doing the stuff, having the gatherings, but there is not righteousness and justice in place. These are the things that are core to who God is. Psalm 89, 14 and 15, in fact, says righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. 
And this, this crossover of righteousness and justice, mercy and truth, this, this thing, I believe, has a ton to do with what God is calling us towards as a church, just to give a preview. But I feel like it's a combo of services that are so full of worship, of praise, of prayer, of intercession, of laying hands on the sick, of seeing salvations, deliverances, healings, baptisms, but also practical ministries, reaching the city, justice issues, things that we're meant to tap into to care for the city that we've been assigned to, the things that we have been placed in front of, God is asking us to actually look at. And so this this thing, what happened with Hillsong was that they started looking for, even as a worship ministry, where can we serve our community? We're, we're serving the Lord in music, but we're also practically serving in this area. There's justice issues that he had placed on their heart. And we know that Christine Kane came out of that and uh, A21, um, freedom ministry, um, helping women get out of slavery, that kind of thing. Massive freedom ministries have come out of that. And so when God nudges the two parts of it, there's a reason. But here's the truth. Again, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. The Message Bible puts it this way. It says, righteousness and justice are the roots of your rule. Love and truth are its fruits. Blessed are the people who know the passwords of praise, who shout on parade in the bright presence of God. Delighted, they dance all day long. They know who you are, what you do, and they can't keep quiet about it. Isn't that good? Let me read that one more time. The right, uh, right and justice, the, uh, the righteousness and justice are the roots of your rule. Love and truth are its fruits. Blessed are the people who know the passwords of praise, who shout on parade in the bright presence of God. Delighted, they dance all day long. They know who you are, what you do, and they can't keep quiet about it. What this is saying is that the passwords of praise are righteousness, justice, mercy, and truth. These are the passwords of praise. When we come into his presence, we're coming in and we're engaging his righteousness. We can't produce righteousness, but we get to, in surrender to him, we, we receive what he has provided for us and we become righteousness in Christ Jesus. There is something beautiful that he's offered us, but when we're coming in, imagine, I want to come before the throne of God. I want to sing joyously before his throne. I want to encounter his presence, but I'm walking in injustice. I, ha I have ongoing sin issues that I'm unwilling to address. I'm unwilling to embrace the truth, and I'm not showing mercy to anybody around me. It's my way or the highway. But I want the presence of God. I just want to come and be in the presence of God. I believe not only is it going to be a numbed out zone, but I believe that there is some places where there will be consequences. God is inviting us. He's saying, I want all of your heart. I want... Not just your song, but your service. I, I want not just your, your praise, but I actually want your proclamation in the streets. I want you to be the one who is my messenger. I want you to be the light and the love that I have intended. I want there to be a release of my presence through you. But it's going to require a measure of purity. It's going to require a measure of holiness. John Bevere has a new book coming out um, called The Awe of God. Um, we will be getting a bunch of copies in the church. It's coming out in the middle of um, February, I believe, February 21st. And um, he's been sharing just as a preview for it, letting people know a little bit um, what God has put on his heart. But he, he talks about the Jesus people movement that came in the late 60s, early 70s and released, birthed this move of God that happened in the early 80s to the mid 90s, which is actually where the, the period of time the Victory Churches came out of. Um, and full gospel businessmen and all kinds of organizations globally came out of that period of time. There was a birthing that happened of a new move of God that changed everything. And um, most of us have grown up on stories of it. Some of us lived in that time period, but there was a move of God that kind of came up to a head in the 90s with like a move of the Holy Spirit and the renewal period. And essentially, he says what he believes God delivered the church from in that moment was a... Um, um, 
spirit of legalism that had just attached onto everything. And for the first time, people were experiencing, because here's these hippies that were doing nothing right. You know, they're on the beach, they're doing nothing according to the rules, and yet they're encountering the presence of God and baptizing people by the thousands in the ocean and, you know, experiencing this. And he said, for the first time, we realized that we have a daddy who loves us. Because before that, we just knew that we had a God that deserved our service. And there was, a, there was a reverence, but there wasn't the same kind of relationship. So it gave birth to that relationship. But he said by the time he came into the ministry in the mid-80s, things were starting to dip as far as that, that grace that was on everything. And I remember hearing my mom and dad talk about it, my, my dad particularly saying... Um, at the time, you know, people were, were uh, coming in, you know, they'd get saved at the gas station. Like if the person pumping gas was a believer, people would just open conversations and start asking and people would get saved at the gas station, the restaurant, whatever. And, and we can look on the outside and be like, you know, man, people must have been better evangelists. No, there was a grace at the time that they were willing to partner with. And the grace had a season and it shifted. And I believe God is preparing us for something not the same, but in the same way as how an atmosphere shifts and you get to be part of it. Uh, we will encounter that kind of thing. We know that in the, you know, the 1800s, there was like moves of God that were massive moves of repentance. And so, you know, the evangelists would walk through factory floors, the stories go, and, and people would stop what they were doing and just start weeping because they felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit and get saved, you know, on the, on the work floor. Nobody had even preached a message. Well, that's not a really good evangelist. It's a move of God that an evangelist partners with that somebody allows. And I believe we're in something similar that we're crossing over to. So John Bevere said he stepped into ministry and he started seeing the waning of stuff. It wasn't happening like he wanted it, you know, had in his heart to happen. And he said, God spoke to him and he said, I've given my church a thimble full of my power to see how she would handle it, to see if she'd market it, make money off of it, to use it to draw people to herself. And he said, we didn't handle it well. It's been about 40 years since that major push has shifted, a generation. We know biblically, Old Testament, every time there's a 40-year, 40, 40 a generational shift, sometimes something pauses, and then there's the birth of something new. So he said he, he went on and just seeking the Lord. God said to him, the final move of my spirit before Jesus returns will be a move of the fear of God that will produce holiness that the bride will walk in, a bride that Jesus will return for. I believe that is what we are on the edge on. If there is a return to the fear of the Lord, we had better be right with God. The exciting thing is there is a move of God. The scary thing is we better be right with God. There can't be a lukewarmness. We need to pick a side. Um, looking backwards, John Bevere says he can see two clear ditches. The walk with God over this last century, we have seen the ditch on one side of legalism. And legalism lacks relationship, it lacks grace, it lacks mercy, it lacks the love and the kindness of God. But the ditch on the other side is lawlessness. And lawlessness is, oh, God knows me, he loves me anyway. He knows I struggle with that. I mean, he knows, he's, he's a good God. Except there's a problem with God's presence and sin. They don't coexist. So when the church, when the body of Christ decides to not just, you know, tolerate the presence or the, the sin in our lives, it makes room for God to come in clean house and do what he wants to do. Right now, I, I would fear for myself if the manifest presence of God dropped like a fire cloud in this house, I, I would be doing the self-check, you know. Pastor Les talks about how he had learned how to pray the salvation prayer, the repentance prayer as fast as possible, learn to pray it in French because it was faster. But if anything should happen to him, he'd get right with God before he died and then realized it wasn't fast enough still. It was like 18 seconds or something. Yeah. So we, do we want to have the stuff in our lives that we're like, you know, if God showed up right now, I'd be terrified in a bad way. The fear of God is not being afraid of God, though. It's the awe of what we felt this morning, his holiness. 
his holiness. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He is one who does not change. And, and so there is a cleansing of the house that's going on right now that I think is a huge thing. The, the combination of legalism and lawlessness is that both are essentially pride. One says I can do everything right and earn God's blessing. The other one says I can do everything wrong and God will still bless me. Both are centered in self. The fear of God takes us to the center and brings us back to the place that he orders my steps. He's the one that I serve. Every day that I have, every breath that I've been given belongs to him. I live to honor him. I live to serve him. I live to walk with him. And it's great when there are blessings. There's, there's things that come, but my focus is him on honoring him. When we talk about pride, we know that pride always comes before a fall. That the word tells us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not the perfect. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God I don't have everything right. God, I'm still struggling in this area, but I am opening my life to you. I am willing to lay down something. There are some, I believe even during this fasting season, there have been ongoing addictions that you've been struggling with and you're like, it has been such a long-term thing. I, I just think God is maybe okay with it. And God's like, give it to me for five days. Yeah. Five's the number of grace. Let my grace encounter that thing. And let's see what happens on the other side. Just give it to me for five days. Submit to me. Partner with me. Humble yourself before me. Put the, put the life on the line and let him actually breathe into it. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The things that he's talking about are us. <laughs> the foolish things, the weak things, the base things, <laughs> the, the stuff, the, the despised things. God picks us. Some of us, what we're surrendering in this season, this act of holiness, this act of coming before the Lord in purity and the fear of the Lord is throwing down our But I'm just, where I've come from, I don't know how. Read Moses' story and see how it worked out for him. I mean, God finally said, who are you? Who is man that you should talk to me like that? He, honestly, our, our excuses have hit the timeline limit. And it is time to offer a resounding yes to God, to whatever he's calling you to. And if you feel like the foolish, base, weak thing of the world, great. He wants to show you off. He wants to move through you. It says that no flesh should glory in his presence. The Amplified says so that no one may be able to boast in the presence of God. In other words, so that you can't walk in pride. So you're not groveling and I'm so lowly. I'm just the scum of the earth. No, I am humble. I know that every breath I have is his. And therefore, I'm giving it to him. I know that every day I have is what he's given me. And so I live it for him. I know that who he's made me to be is for his glory. So I'm going to live it for him. And I'm not going to go after men's praise. And I'm not going to shrink back from their criticisms. I'm going to live for his well done. That's the goal of my life. Philippians 3, 7 to 10 says, But what things were of gain to me, these I have counted for loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything else is worth nothing compared to the knowledge of Jesus, Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. And he said, you know what? Everything, I, I trained my whole life to be a rock star in the church, essentially. Pharisee of Pharisees, trained. I mean, he had, he had all the stuff. And he said, honestly, none of it matters. What I'm after is to know Christ. What I'm after is to walk with him. What I'm after is to experience the fullness of what he suffered for. What I'm after is to experience life with the living God. What I'm after is a full surrender to him. And that is everything. That's what he's given himself up for. To know him is the desperation. Now, we are, we are a faith church. We pray the word. We believe the promises of God. But here's one of the things that I do believe this last uh, chunk of time has been a bit detrimental for, is that we have taught people to come to God because he'll heal you. Come to God because he'll bless you. Come to God because he'll minister to you. And the reality is we need to come to God because he's God. And while you're there, there's a free gift with the purchase. There's, there's some stuff that comes with, the, Psalms calls them the benefits. But the benefits are not the main event. When you take a job, when you are employed by a company, you have a paycheck, you have a, a, a payment that comes for services rendered, and there's an agreement that is made. And then there may be benefits that come with it. But you don't go to a job for the benefits, you go to the job because you are called to be part of that place. You, you believe that that's the right spot for you. It's the right fit for you. I believe that we need to come back to the basics of I'm coming to God to find God. The end. He is my everything. He is my, when I'm in the presence of God, you, the woman at the well, when she came and she met with Jesus and she came back and she told the guys, she's like, he just told me everything I ever did, which was bad. <laughs> and she didn't come back and say, so I hope it was worth it. I hope the benefits of this thing are, cause I mean, now I'm exposed. She came back and she said, he told me everything I ever did. And I just, I just have to tell you how good he is. She was the first evangelist. She went, she went, she went to everybody. She told the whole city what was happening, what God had done, what he had said about her, what he had shown her. He was her everything. We don't know if he healed her current relationship. We don't know if she went through like emotional counseling for the previous five relationships or whatever. We don't, we don't know the path, that, but we do know that she fully embraced Jesus because she was like, I found God. I found the one. I found the one. He is meant to be the craving of our souls. Psalm 103, and we quote it a lot around here. I love to quote it because it's very good. It's a very good reminder of what it is that God has done, what he has paid for. We know that um, when Jesus died on the cross, he did the whole thing. He bore the stripes for our healing. We know that he paid the price for all things. And it starts off in verse one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We tend to hyperfixate on the forget not his benefits. But I think the problem is we're not forgetting at all his benefits. We forget to bless the Lord, oh my soul. We forget that the starting point is bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Now let's just read them. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. But then verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. 
We just found out that righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. This is the sandwich. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. It's not about the benefits. This passage is saying, man, he, he, he has done it all. This passage is about he. Him, the goodness of God, the justice of God, the righteousness of God, the goodness of God, the tender mercies of God. It is about him. This is what we've been invited into. And I believe we need to caution, even in this time of seeking God, search me, O God, know my heart. What if every prayer you pray for the next 10 years, God goes, nope, not now. Timing's off. How's your love level going to be? How's the fire going to be? The indicator is how do we handle things when God says no? And for some of us, I believe this is the self-reflection time. If there is bitterness, there is anger, there is upset, there is disappointment, even with the outcome of some of the things that we've expected from God in this last season, it is time to come before him in repentance and say, you know what? I serve you no matter what. I'm reading right now. I think I made a terrible choice. I'm reading, um, I know, the Daily Bible you know, whatever, the reading through the Bible in a year. I picked the chronological version, um, which essentially gives you the first three chapters of Genesis and then into Job. So great. I'm like on chapter 39 or something. I'm like, oh, for heaven's sakes. It's just, it just goes on and on and on. But essentially, people come at Job and they're like, maybe you did this. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you're wrong about this. Maybe this, maybe that. Job even has a few moments. He never curses God, but he's like, I'm just a little upset. It would have been better kind of if I hadn't been born. Like I'm, I'm having a hard time. But then he says things that are just so pure. Like I will never, I will never curse God. He says things like, when I'm gone from this earth, I will be with him face to face. He says things that are like, even though he's lost everything, the one thread he's hanging on to is the goodness of God. That God is God. That God can do whatever he wants. That ultimately, God is God and he doesn't owe us anything. And I think sometimes our flip side of it, our North American culture, I mean, if we don't get... I've been with people um, at restaurants, not saying anybody in particular, but <laughs> who will decide to never go back to a restaurant if they have paper straws? <laughs> now I know that's half the congregation right now, but... <laughs> You're like, I'm sure there are no dolphins being killed by my straw in northern Alberta. I'm sure of it. But, you know, we are, we are accustomed to, I want things my way, my packaging, my timetable. I deserve. I have options. And if you don't serve me how I want to be served, I have options. Well, the enemy has made sure to present us plenty of options. Plenty of things to worship, plenty of things to lay our lives before, plenty of things to spend our time and our resources and our heart and affections upon. But God's like, I'm actually not beholden to you. I don't actually have to do things on your timetable. I don't actually have to package it the way you want it. If you're literally praying like Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. It doesn't change the relationship at all. The relationship stays steady. And I'm grateful when it goes the way I wanted it to. And I love him when it doesn't. 
but I have to be okay with it. It has been shocking to me to watch as we've gone through this last season. Um, and, and again, the tragedies and the heartaches and the, the frustrations and the things have been amped up in the last season. And um, the amount of Christians that have walked away from God because he didn't perform for us like we wanted him to. God help us. We must come with a heart that says, God, all is for your glory. All is for your fame. All is for you. I, I, I know God is leading us into a place that is craving him. And we are going to have to guard it assertively because we've come through a generation that has drifted the absolute opposite way. Where he's somebody we might try. And if it goes good, great. If not, we'll try the next thing. God is not willing to share. Read the book. It doesn't go well for anybody who tries to make him one of the gods we serve. He is God alone. So when evaluating the state of the union, we have to ask the hard questions. Do I reverence God? You could phase it another way. Do I fear the Lord? Do I reverence God? One of the things that um, John Bevere mentioned, and it struck me as so true, is that there's a, there's a habit in the church that will say things like, oh yeah, God's been dealing with me that, with that for a few months. I'm just having a hard time with it. It's like, if we actually have a fear of God and God deals with you on something, it's being handled. If we feel it's okay to laugh about it and months later be like, oh, yeah, God's been kind of dealing with me about that. The fear of God is not where it ought to be. That's a good litmus test. What are the things that God's challenging us on? Number two, do I seek his face or his hand? Do I seek his face or his hand? Do I pursue him? What does pursuit look like? It means actual, well, also Sunday nights, first Sunday of the month, you should be here, six o'clock, it's great. Um, but personally, it means the same thing that it means when you're actually trying to get a spouse. You find out what they like. You try and spend time with them. You get to know them. You pursue them. Number four, tough question. Am I surrendered? Am I surrendered? Really? We've all got reasons for why it's not good timing for that right now, Lord. Why that's not convenient. Why it'll work a lot better in five years, God, when I get my bank account sorted out. Number five, are my heart and hands open before him? And that's a key. Are my heart and hands open before him? Some of us are willing to serve. We're very busy in the things of God, but my heart is... And some of us say we have a heart for God, but we're not willing to do anything about it. I hear things like, you know, the, the next major crisis in the church is going to be the crisis of volunteers. Not if they're saved. <laughs> Could have packaged that. <laughs> you come to Christ... He gives you everything. He pours out his spirit in your life, gives you a gift to use for the edification of the body. You serve. It's just kind of, it's just kind of how it goes. It's like we used to say to our kids, if they didn't want to do chores, it's like you work or you don't eat. That's every... <laughs> People who live here do things to help around the house. That's how it works. All right. Final. Moving on. The volunteer booth will be set up next week out in the foyer. <laughs> I'm 
I'm just kidding. You know what? Our percentage of volunteers in this house is way higher than the average. It's, you guys are fantastic. And you do serve, and we love you. Number six, am I willing to say yes to whatever he asks of me, regardless of the cost? Am I willing to say yes to whatever he asks of me, regardless of the cost? I know. So fun. Hey, I bet you're wishing you flipped on line and looked for that. God's going to give you everything you want this year for 2023. You want that message? That's not happening here. God's going to give you whatever he wants this year, and it's going to be fantastic. Luke 9, 23 and 24, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Let's leave up that first verse if you could, Gary. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's not even the fine print. You know when you buy stuff and sometimes you get the warning thing home or you get like prescribed a medication and you unfold the list of possible side effects and you're like, no, I'll deal with the first issue. That's not, a, that's, that's not a problem. This is not that. Right off the bat, Jesus said, if you desire to come after me and you don't have to. But if you want to, it's going to cost everything. That is not a North American message, right? That is not a full meal deal message. That is costly and precious. You will have to deny yourself, but it hurts. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's meant to be all about him. There's a, a word... It, for prayer in the Hebrew. Um, Yer Levy said, uh, did a teaching on it, and a lot of people have. There's a lot of different words for prayer, honestly. Um, Hebrew, then Greek. English has the word prayer. <laughs> Super non-instructive. But there's one particular word for prayer, and it's lehit uh, pale, something like that. Pale is the word for prayer, but this connection is... Uh, a middle form of prayer. In fact, Eugene Peterson, uh, is it Peterson? Yeah, who, who did the Message Bible, uh, talks about it. It calls it the middle voice of prayer. And so when, when we're talking about prayer, there's different ways that we can pray. And there's the upper voice where we're coming in and we have the upper hand and we're asking God for something that's on our hearts. And then there's the lower voice where we're coming in and we've got nothing to say, but we're just Word is there, and something is placed upon us. And then there's this middle voice, and this particular word, in uh, English, we translate it prayer or petition or request. In Hebrew, it's an action word, it's a verb, and it means coming to our Father to connect, to learn what he wants, to be convinced and willing to do what it takes to come into agreement. Ouch. Let me read that again. It is an action word that means coming to the Father to connect, to learn what he wants, to be convinced and willing to do what it takes to come into agreement. It reflects back on the person who is coming into the prayer. It means that we're coming to God, we find his heart, we come into agreement and we pray and act accordingly. It's the kind of prayer, interestingly, that Hannah prayed. See, we think Hannah had this craving for a baby, which she did. But she had dealt with childlessness for years. There was something about that year that she came and she's weeping at the altar. You remember the story? And, and um, Eli comes to her and he's like, you're drunk, get out of here. And she's like, it's not that. I, I am crying out before God. What this word means, the fact that that was the word that was used, is that God had placed something on her heart to cry out to him for because God had wanted to give it in the first place. And Samuel wasn't any normal baby. He was the beginning of a prophetic voice for a nation. 
It was a shift of seasons. We see that same word used from Abraham. We see it used from Moses. We see it used every time there was a major thing that was released upon the earth from the heart of the Father. There is something that God wants to release upon the earth right now, but when we come into prayer about it, like when we pray, and let me tell you, we are about to start praying regularly for the fire of God to fall in this house. I'm bringing this message as a warning. Let us be prepared. I believe God wants to pour out his fire in this house. We're not asking for something just because, well, we've Googled the possible options for church ministries, and this seems like the funnest one for us. No, this is meant to be a house that is passionately full of the presence of God. That is what we are called to do and be. That is what we have been assigned from heaven to be. I don't know if you guys remember a few years ago when uh, Rodney Howard Brown was here. And he said, he came here and he said, as soon as he put his hand on the doorknob outside here, he said, this place is at least half too small for what it's supposed to be. I have had people nonstop for the last several years ask, what are you going to do when you can't fit in this building? What's the plan? I don't know the plan yet. I'm not as worried about that because I feel like God can bring it. We're going we're gonna to dream with him. But what interests me about that is why would we possibly need more space? It's got to be because there's more people here, right? I would think. And if there's more people here, why are they here? As much as we love Mel and the worship team, it's not going to be just because, wow, I had to be there for that worship concert. As much as people might like a general weekly kick in the teeth from me, it's not, it's not going to be, wow, I just really want to hear that preacher. If this place is going to be what God has assigned it to be, it is going to be because he is here. We will do our very best to steward it and to partner with him. But I believe that what is coming is going to demand us to be completely sold out. That when we come in prayer, that we are coming in this voice. That we are coming to say, God, what is on your heart? We want to partner with it. And we will do whatever it takes to connect with that. To adjust, to match what it is that's on your heart. And we partner with it. Yes, in prayer and in action. That there's a coming together. Bill Johnson says, my responsibility is not to, be o- to obey so that he will do something. My responsibility is to obey because he is Lord. Yeah. This is what we're coming into. This season, this measure of holiness, this measure of commitment, this measure of it's God or nothing. I'm going to have the team come and we're going to, can we do um, Cece's song again? Please, we're going to. We're going to finish with this declaration. This, this song, um, we sang it earlier, King of Glory. Cece Winans has been around on the music scene forever. She has like, I don't know the actual number, but like a bazillion um, Grammys and Dove Awards and all kinds of stuff. And uh, she's like 56 years old or whatever, which in female musicians is unfortunately, a difficult time. And she, she kind of hit a spot where she was like, she just sort of stopped making music. And people would say to her, like, you're on your high point. Like, it's not the time to stop. Now you need to be producing. Um, you need to be pr- producing music at a certain pace. And like, people are still buying, whatever. And she just said, and I believe this is the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of God. She said, I will not do anything unless he asked me to. And until God assigned me something, I don't need to produce anything. And so um, she started to get this nudge that it was time to, to produce this album. And she, she wrote these songs and began to record and release these songs. And they came out kind of just during COVID, I believe, right? In the middle of it. So it was not pre-planned, it was God-planned. And um, as people started listening to the music and having it play in their houses, like healing started happening. There was spontaneous stuff that would just happen at concerts and people were impacted by the presence of God in such a way. It's the kind of thing that every upcoming Christian musician would long for. She didn't. She longed for, I'm only going to do what he tells me to do. And when she, as you would expect, 
won all the Grammys and all the Dove Awards to go along with this album. And she got up to make her speech and the room's silent. And she got up and she sang acapella to God be the glory and sat down. See, that no flesh would glory in his presence. God entrusted the music of that album to somebody who knew it was not about her. Who knew it was all about him and if it was for him, she would do it in obedience for him. She would release it to him and walk away. I believe that there's some, even today and those who will be listening down the road, that there is clear shift of direction that God is bringing you in this season. And the yeah buts will show up like crazy. It's gonna be like whack-a-mole if you just try and excuse them. The correct answer is yes, Lord. There are some things to step out in. There are some obedience issues. I'm telling you, if there has been an ongoing besetting sin that has hovered on your life, now is the time. Let's stand together. I'm gonna invite you as we sing this morning, if you feel like you wanna respond to God and come to the front, just come on up. But we're gonna commit ourselves individually, but I wanna pray over this house. you today truly in awe of who you are grateful for the breath in our lungs grateful for this day that you've given us to live for your glory grateful that we're still here regardless of our stupid choices in the past grateful to feel your presence and your heart and God, today we submit ourselves to you. We ask you like King David asked, search us, O oh God, and know us, know our hearts, search our minds, search our actions, God. Lord, we wanna be, as a corporate body, we wanna be a vessel of honor for your purposes. We wanna acknowledge your presence, Lord. We want you more than we want anything, anything. And Lord, I pray that you would graciously move upon each one of our hearts and in our lives, God, that you would lead us in the next steps before us, God. I thank you, Lord, that you are calling us into that place of deeper knowing of who you are, of walking with you. Lord, those of us who have craved a massive move of your spirit, Lord, we thank you that that time is imminent. And Lord, we pray that you would make us ready. Lord, we pray that those who encounter you in this house would truly encounter you that it wouldn't be about the packaging of man, but it would be about the Spirit of God, that the fire would indeed fall in this place. God, that we would be a people set ablaze for you, living for your glory and for your honor. God, we come before you today and we say we are yours. Spirit of God, have your way. Lord, help us to be the bride that has made herself ready. And Lord, we look forward with anticipation to every day that is before us. We honor you as the King of glory, the King of this house and the King of our hearts. We give you our full attention and our deepest worship and adoration. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.VictoryGP.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.